The title for our message tonight is Joy in the Furnace, and our text is verses 6 through 9. And uh, the theme of these verses is joy. And Peter's outpouring of praise to God in verses 3 to 5 was also an encouragement to these believers facing trials to bless God. For them to think on the amazing truth that they were chosen of God, that they were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ because of God's great mercy. That they had been promised this inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, which would never fade away, reserved in heaven for them. Peter gives them all of these, and us, all of these reasons to rejoice in the Lord. And this joy in salvation is on Peter's heart, and we see this continue in these next few verses. And in fact, if you look throughout Scripture, those who know the Lord, those who walk with him and trust him, experience some measure of joy. You know, you you see it in the Psalms, don't you? You think of Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart. Or Psalm 5, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy. Or Psalm 9, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And we could go on. But those who have received salvation, those who know the Lord have cause for joy in him. And the Lord purposes for his people to know that joy in him, even in the very worst of times. But the question is, how do we know that joy? You know, if we're honest, many times we don't have that joy or that sense of joy in our lives. And so we need to ask, how do we learn to focus on that joy that the Lord has given to us? How do we capture it? How do we pursue it under the inspiration of the Spirit? Peter tells us how we can make the joy of salvation a reality in our lives. And very simply, friends, it is to do with where our focus is, where our concentration lies, where we dwell. And so a number of things to draw out from these verses. And the first thing for you to see in verse 6 is this, that that we can know joy in a sure inheritance. We can know joy in a sure inheritance. Notice what he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now there are some who read that verse forward, but I would suggest to you that Peter is drawing in the salvation that he has just been describing in verses 3 to 5. So that wonderful inheritance, the the fullness of salvation in Christ, the future glory, that is what we greatly rejoice in. In this, you greatly rejoice. That should be the cause for rejoicing in every circumstance that we face here below. Even when suffering comes and disappointments come, we are to look to that salvation that we have been given You know, there's a real practical example of this type of attitude that we find in Hebrews 10. And it says this, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. So this is to the believers there. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. 
So they went through this awful experience. And it goes on, For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So they went through this terrible trial. They even had their goods plundered and taken away from them. And yet they looked to the better and enduring possession that God had for them in the future. They endured loss, loss of earthly property and suffering because they looked to a better possession that could never be seized and never stolen, the sure inheritance. And friends, we can know joy when we fix our eyes, when we set our thoughts upon, when we realize that the inheritance that God has given to us is sure. It is something continual. Nothing can remove it from us. And when we think on that sure future, then it gives our hearts cause to rejoice. But then he goes on in verses 6 and 7 that also a source of our joy, we can know joy as a result of tested faith. Again, if you look at verse 6, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, then he goes on to say, be found to the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. You know, when your faith is tested, and it will be tested, when it's tested and it remains, that should be a cause of rejoicing to you because it is proof that your faith is real. You know, you can see that in these verses that, that Peter is teaching us some important truths about trouble and what happens when trouble comes. Look at the verses and just look at these things with me. He tells us, that though trouble will come, it won't last forever. That is a good thing to know when we're right in the midst of a storm. When trouble comes, it doesn't last forever. He says, for a little while. So in that scheme of eternity, our trouble is just for a time. He also tells us that our troubles always serve a purpose. That little phrase, if need be. God allows these trials to come to us because it is necessary to deepen our walk and to bring us on with him, to bring us on to maturity. But also Peter is aware that even though these things are true, trouble is still painful and it's still grievous. He says, if you've been grieved, literally distressed. And he tells us too that trouble comes in different ways. Various trials. You know, our, our troubles are not always the same every time. Sometimes they come from avenues that we just did not expect. Various trials. But he tells us that it doesn't have to ruin our joy. In this you greatly rejoice. And so sometimes when the latest trial comes to us or we find ourselves in the midst of a storm or some blow comes and it just feels so overwhelming. But Peter says that it is right then that we have to remember where our joy truly lies. And that is a battle. It's something we have to pursue. But when we see the presence of faith in those circumstances, it is a source of joy, but it is because it is a confirmation that our faith is real. Spurgeon says, The steps by which we ascend to the place of joy 
are usually moist with tears. Amid the ashes of our pain lie the sparks of our joy, ready to flame up when breathed on by the Holy Spirit. Joy comes out of pain. And one of the reasons we can have joy in pain is because it shows that our faith is real. That our faith is that gift of grace, that work of God, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire. We are shown that our faith is real, and that should be a great comfort. You know, when Peter speaks about the proving, the testing of our faith, the genuineness of our faith, you know, it doesn't prove anything to the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows the faith that he's given to you. He knows the work that he's done in you, is doing in you, and will do in you. But when we are shown it, when we are shown that we really do believe, even when things are awful, you know, it gives us confidence in the Lord that he's with us and that he'll enable us to pass through the trials that come. And even when severe trials come, and they do come, to continue trusting, to continue hoping, that is evidence of real faith, and it should cause us to rejoice. And Peter says that such faith, that faith which is tested, is more precious than gold, even when it's been refined in the fire. And so just as a jeweler puts his most precious metal in the crucible, so God proves us in that furnace of trial and affliction. And the genuineness of our faith shines from that furnace, as it were, and to his praise. There is great treasure in a proven faith. You know, some of us, and we can all share, no doubt, experiences where we have received very heavy blows in our lives. And yet here we are. And we're looking to the Lord. That is a cause for rejoicing, friends. Because he has worked in us thus far, and he will keep us. We can know joy as a result of tested faith. But then verse 7, he goes on and he says, Another source of this joy is knowing joy through a promised reward. Look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So another source of this ever-present joy of salvation is when we realize the prospect of what the Lord has for us in the future, all by his grace. That enduring faith itself is a gift of grace, is the means by which this next blessing is given. The outcome of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The eternal reward that God has promised to give to his children. And so as we go on, we rejoice because of the salvation we've been given, because of the inheritance we have been given. We rejoice through troubles and trials because they show that our faith in Jesus is real. And we rejoice because this faith will also be honored in the end when Jesus comes. Friends, our trials are never, never forgotten by the Lord. You think of those lovely verses where it speaks about how he keeps our tears in his bottle. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them not being able to be compared with the glory which is to come. And, friends, I've got to say that there is a sense in which even speaking of what Peter says in this next part is just so incredible that I do it with trepidation. 
You see, when you look at that first, I wonder if you've ever realized that the praise and the glory and the honor mentioned here is something that God wants to give you on that day. The great God wants to bless you with praise and glory and honor because of the genuine faith displayed throughout your life as a believer. All of which, by the way, is his work and it's of grace. You know, think of those things, praise. And really there what it's speaking of is a, is a, a verbal commendation. And it's staggering that someday we will see the Lord and he will reward us with his praise. 1 Peter 2.20, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You know, we know that God is for us in Christ and it is wonderful to know that in Christ, as we live for his glory, we please him. Think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then what does he say? Enter into the joy of your Lord. Did you realize that God rejoices over you when you're faithful? We receive praise from God because of the salvation he has given and the faithfulness he enables by his grace. Romans 2, he who is a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. True faith receives this praise from God, even though it is a gift of God. You know, who can understand his ways? He gives us faith, but then delights in it and praises for it. It's astounding kindness and mercy. Zephaniah 3, verse 17, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Spurgeon said, I think that's the most wonderful text in the whole Bible. God himself singing. And he goes on, I can imagine when the world was made, the morning stars sang together shouting for joy, but God didn't sing. He said it was very good, that's all. There was no song. But when all the chosen race shall meet around the throne, the joy of the eternal Father shall swell so high that God will burst, as it were, into infinite song. In that great day, the revelation, the unveiling, the manifestation of Christ, we will receive praise from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Praise. And then glory. And that is speaking of the perfection of person. And it implies a glory received. Again, listen to Romans 2. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. And so what uh, Paul is saying there is that some aspect of glory will be given to those that the Lord has saved. In John 1.14, it speaks of the Lord Jesus and those who saw him during his earthly mission. Remember what it says? The word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the Savior was glory incarnate, as it were. And the Bible says that when we see him, 
What shall we be made? We shall be made like him, like Christ, the glorious one. And then honour. That speaks of eternal reward, honour from the Lord given due to our service rendered to him. Think of Revelation 22. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. 1 Corinthians 3 speaks of the service we give and reward for that. 2 John 8 speaks of faithfulness, receiving a full reward. Friends, it is incredible that God who alone is worthy the God who is alone worthy of praise, alone worthy of glory, alone worthy of honour, will bless his people in the way mentioned here. And you say, well, how does it happen? What will it look like? It will be when we are finally made like the Lord Jesus. When he comes again in all his glory, we receive glory as we share in Christ's glory. You know, this is something that is so significant in Peter's thinking. He mentions it again in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that grace, that gracious gift that God will give praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 4.13, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So rejoice that in your faithfulness and rejoicing here, you'll be rewarded by a greater rejoicing when Jesus comes. You know, there's that wonderful promise in 2 Thessalonians 1, but it says this, your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. So Jesus will come and he will give us that relief from all affliction. And then it goes on, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day, then here it is, to be glorified in his saints. So we can know joy in this promised reward there for us at the coming of Christ. And friends, just think. Just think of what it will be like in that glory to come. To be made perfect. The authority and the power and the, the presence of sin gone forever. No more the, the crippling effects of, of the fall on life and relationships. No more hurt and disappointments. Freedom from all evil, just perfect delight and comfort and love and peace and joy. It lifts our hearts to think of what it will be. But you know, best of all, we'll be with the Lord in that close and intimate fellowship. And we will know that love like never before. And share in his glory and worship him and serve him. And it's that prospect that changes the nature of suffering for the believer. And realizing that faithfulness, even in the worst times, in the furnace, brings honor to Christ. 
It's my privilege in my family history. I am related to the Huguenots. They were the French Protestant believers who faced terrible persecution and martyrdom. In fact, it was one of the things that Beryl Cargig and I shared in common. Both had that link to the Huguenots. And I was reminded that in 1685, Louis XVI changed the law in France so that Protestant public worship became a crime. And so men caught at secret worship services in the fields were then rounded up and sent to be slaves on galley ships. And so chained to a row bench, they were slaved and there at the oars until they died. Now in a museum in southern France, which you can visit even today, there is a hanging replica of one of those massive galley oars. And underneath there is a model of a galley and beside it there is an inscription made by a reformed believer who was a slave on one of these ships. And what he had etched in was this. My chains are the chains of Christ's love. The love that he had for Christ made him ready to suffer so that his proven faith could be his tribute. You know, no matter the circumstances and the trials, friends, we can know joy in our salvation, in the inheritance we've been given, in proven faith, but also the promised reward that is ahead of us. And then lastly, as we finished, we can know joy in knowing Jesus himself. Verse 8, the sweetest joy of all, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why greatly rejoice? Why this joy inexpressible and full of glory? You love him and you trust him. You know, in any relationship, two things are vital, love and trust. And especially in this relationship. And why I think that this verse is so significant. You know, you just think for a moment. Judas, apart from him... You know, who had his faith and love questioned most for the Lord Jesus? Who stumbled? Well, it was Peter. It was to Peter as the leader of the disciples that Jesus said, Oh, you have little faith. Three times he was asked by the Lord, Do you love me? And it is an amazing thing that Peter has such true humility that he commends these suffering believers and says, You haven't seen him, but you love him. You don't see him now, and yet you believe in him. You see, Peter, he'd been with Jesus. He'd been with him for three years. He'd been in his presence. He'd seen all of those things, and yet he stumbled. And yet here, these believers were demonstrating deep love and trust in the Savior, even though they'd not seen him. And he says, verse 8, whom having not seen, though now you do not see him. You know, usually to love and trust someone, you know, you've got to see them. You've got to meet them. You've got to know them in that way. But these believers like us, like us now, they'd never met Jesus in that physical way or looked into his face or touched his hand or eaten with him and walked with him and talked with him or heard his actual voice. And yet Peter says, even still, you love him. And it thrills his heart that these believers who'd never seen him share with him in a deep love for Jesus. And the sense is continual. You love him and you are loving him. It's a faithful love. It is a willful love. 
And this is at the heart of our joy, that intimate love relationship with the Lord Jesus. And Peter is really describing a real Christian, someone who loves Jesus and loves him continually. 1 Peter 2.7, Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. 1 Corinthians 16, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so the question is, do you love Jesus? When you determine where someone is in their relationship with God, you ask them, what do you think of Jesus Christ? You see how they speak of him. You know, that consuming love for Christ is the mark of a transformed heart. Think of 1 John 4, we love him because he first loved us. Loving the Lord is a a vital mark of spiritual life, a genuine work of grace. It's so simple. We love him. Ephesians 6, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Literally an incorruptible love. You can't be a Christian if you don't truly love the Lord Jesus. And if you love him, what will you do? You'll obey him. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. If you love him, you want to do what pleases him. And Peter says of these suffering believers, I know that your joy flows from the fact that you know Jesus, that you love him even though you've not seen him. And the believer doesn't just love him even though they've not seen him, they believe in him, they trust him. Do you remember what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20? Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so we love him and we trust him. And tonight, friends, if you truly believe, if you are saved by grace, you cannot but love Jesus and trust him. As one says, faith accepts the record of Jesus Christ. That record portrays him in all his beauty, all his loveliness, and leads us to loving him. The more faith can know of Christ and have that knowledge possess the heart, the stronger love becomes. Because the more faith believes the truth of Christ, the more marvelous and lovely he is seen to be, and the more that type of trust brings out love to Jesus who is so wonderful. And so believing and loving, loving and believing defines our communion with Christ. And it shows itself, friends, in the way that we want to promote his glory. Shows itself in the way that we want to serve him wonder if that's your heart. And we love to talk about the Savior, read of the Savior, to spend time with him and to get to know him. Our heart's desire is to be like him. These are the things that show we love him. And so do you know him like that? Do you trust the Savior? Do you love the Lord? Do you have that living, saving relationship with him? To know Jesus is a cause for great joy. I wonder if you've ever just read about Christ and you rejoice. You're just so taken up with him. Do you ever finish a a time of prayer having spent time with him and it just thrills your heart? Do you just rejoice because you know him and believe in him and are confident in him? Do you sometimes just feel that thrill in your heart because you have the joy that you've been saved and brought to him?
You see, that's what Peter goes on to speak about when he talks of joy inexpressible. You know, some try to read into this all manner of things, but simply it means this joy which is above the power of speech. It is just impossible to truly communicate the extent of it. It's so wonderful. You know, it's interesting, by the way, it's the only place where that word inexpressible is used. Joy inexpressible, full of glory. It is something supernatural. It is energized from above. It is the work of the Spirit of God in a person's life. You see, the love that we have for Jesus is not a human love. It is a love that God gives by His grace. And friends, if you think that this is just all future, please see this last part, verse 9. Peter says that we should know joy in the help and deliverance that we have now in Christ. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He uses that word receiving. So even though Peter is looking to the future inheritance, looking to that future fulfillment, looking to the future reward that is ours in Christ, he speaks of the blessings and joy that we have now in Christ. It speaks of receiving the benefits of this salvation now, the deliverance now. And you say, well, how? Well, what do we need to be continually delivered from? Sin and guilt and condemnation and wrath and ignorance and distress and confusion and hopelessness and everything that's fallen and broken. And that's not just for the future. We know something of it now. We're delivered from the guilt and the power of sin. We've been given new life now. We long for Christ. And even though we're in this world and faced with all of its pressures and troubles, sin no longer has dominion over us, no longer slaves to Christ, but set free in Christ and to Christ. We belong to him. And his grace saves us and keeps us. And so we can know, friends, that he is with us in our trials now. And the Lord will deliver us from them all. And there's joy in that. That he will hold us fast. And he will lead us through. Friends, if we are believers, we really can know joy. Even when we're in that, that raging furnace. Joy because of what God has given to us in his son. Joy because we have been given the son himself. We are in his hand. And how we need to know more of the depths of joy that there are for us because of that union with the Lord Jesus. And by the way, if you're here tonight and you don't know anything of this, because you don't know Christ, I pray that you would turn from your sin and trust him now. Believe in him. Run to him, the saviour of sinners, the one who died on the cross in place of sinners, who rose again in triumph, the only one who can save you and give you this joy. Trust him and believe in him now. And for believers, remember what Jesus said in John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The Lord wants us as his people to know joy in him and we can know it as we dwell on these things. And I pray that you will know the joy that Christ longs to give you. And maybe we need to pray ourselves, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. To cry to him that you'd know more of his nearness and thank him for his grace and ask him, oh Lord, please help me. 
I'm in this terrible valley. Oh, there was all these trials. Lord, please help me to see you in the midst and to know more of your joy. Many centuries ago, Bernard of Clairvaux wrote this beautiful hymn that we're going to sing. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts. And he speaks in that hymn of the joy of knowing the Savior and loving the Savior. And that longing really is drawn together in the verse which says this. Our restless spirits yearn for thee. Where'er our changeful lot is cast, glad when thy gracious smile we see, blessed when our faith can hold thee fast. And I pray tonight that our eyes will be upon Jesus. All our joy is bound up in him and that we would know evermore of his nearness, even in the furnace, that there he is. He will not leave us. He will keep us until the day when we are with him forever face to face. Amen.